This is Culturally Attuned. Brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace in partnership with Burning Man Project. Throughout this podcast, we featured guests who have traveled the world into unfamiliar places and strange cultures and shared with us their advice, lessons learned, and even stories of failure. In this final episode of Culturally Attuned, we'll revisit key themes from the series that are critical to bridging cultural differences and building lasting collaborative relationships, both personal and professional. Unlike in past episodes, today we feature a suite of guests, Dr. Anjali Niyogi, Oge Onubangu, Andre Ball, Namaka Uno, and Tabitha Thompson, who share their experiences from different corners of the world. First off, we head to Northern India, where Dr. Niyogi was working in a rural medical clinic. We are reminded of how easy it is to be blindsided by cultural norms in foreign environments, and thus cause unintended offense. I mean, one that stuck with me, mostly because I do, I do health stuff, was I kind of, I, I walked into clinic one day, and this is in the mountains, and it's cold, and I was wearing a, a sweater, and I was wearing it inside out, and, you know, rushed out of the house and shown up at the clinic, and one of the, the clinic staff kept sort of very gently telling me that my sweater was inside out, and, you know, I was much younger then, and I was coming from the United States, and in the U.S., I feel like we use sarcasm and humor in a different way. Um, than people in other parts of the world use. And so I just sort of, you know, eventually said, yes, yes, I understand that my shirt's on inside out, you know, but it's it's to keep me warm and it's doing its job no matter how I wear it. And um, there was sort of the silence for a while and one of the guys kind of came and, you know, pulled me aside and said, well, here we wear our shirts inside out when someone has died. Mm. You know, and here I was, the the clinician or, you know, the clinical, the, the medical student in this clinic and had just created what seemed like, you know, for the whole, the whole clinic went silent and it was a really big deal for them. And, you know, I was just flippant and, um, not knowing anything. So mistakes are easy and common yet having an attitude of humility is important to recover and mend relationships. Next up, Oge Onobongu takes us to West Africa, where she fell victim to bias and stereotypes from professional colleagues in the field of international development and peacebuilding. Too often, people jump to conclusions or make broad assumptions based on subconscious or conscious bias. A few years uh, um, into my career, um, I had traveled to, to a country and I had traveled with a, a junior staffer and we were supposed to have a meeting at uh, one of our U.S. Uh, government embassies. And obviously there are not a lot of people who um, look like me who are in this field of international development or international peace building. I, I am uh, I'm female and I am of African of African descent. And there are not many minorities, not many people who look like me who are in 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 this in this line of work. And so we had traveled to to a country, to an African country, um, and to and we sat in a meeting in one of our US embassies. And in that conversation, when I walk into that conversation with this uh, junior staff person, everybody else in the room is um, white, 
white male, white female in, in the room on the other side of the table, and we start having a conversation. And throughout the conversation, they do not make eye contact with me. They make eye contact with uh, the the junior staff who is in the room with me, who is a, a white man in, in the room. And throughout the entire conversation, probably about 10 minutes of, of the conversation, they continue making eye contact with, with him. And then at the end, they ask him, so what do you think about this? And his response to them was, well, I don't know. You, you're going to have to ask my supervisor what she thinks about it. And he looks at me. And, <laughs> and, and they all turn and look at me. And at that moment, I could tell that they were, um, they were aware that they had basically not handled the situation properly and they hadn't um, acknowledged um, uh, me or, or, or my position or the role I, I had uh, effectively. Because in their minds, they probably weren't assume they they weren't they didn't assume that um, someone who looked like me was going to be in in that position. So I, I think the way I handled that situation was not to point fingers at at anyone, but to let them go through that process of self awareness. It's always important to let people go through that process on their own to understand. Um, what it is that they may have done wrong and be gracious in that moment and help them walk through it. Because at the end of the day, people come into certain positions with uh, preconceived notions or, 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 or certain stereotypes. And in reality, there are not many minorities as well in this field. And so I think it's very important to let them go through that process because by allowing them understand and walk through the process of what they've done wrong or where they've erred, allowing them walk to that process only makes uh, them stronger and ensures that they will not repeat the same mistake again. So it makes it better for everyone at the end of the day. Our biases, whether conscious or subconscious, impact almost every encounter. By understanding our own biases, we're able to better engage with others. Andre Ball shares a personal example of how people often unconsciously resort to stereotypes. I've, had, I've definitely had experiences where I would be talking to somebody on the phone, uh, several experiences, a lot of experiences actually, and uh, people that I've never met before. And, and then meeting them in person, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, just based on our phone conversations, I didn't expect to see you, you know? Uh, and when I hear things like that, I, I think, well, I don't know who else you would think you would expect to see, but I kind of understood as I grew older um, what that kind of meant, you know? I, you, people again would maybe expect someone who speaks a specific way to maybe look a specific way, someone who sounds maybe a specific way to act or be a certain way, right? And, um, you know, me being black, I guess, and I would imagine that would be a major piece of it. Um, and, and speaking maybe in the way that I do, which is my, the way I naturally speak, uh, 
they might not have picked up that I was black, or maybe they might not have picked up that I, you know, that I am the way that I am, or that my mannerism is the way that, that I am. So yeah, that, that experience, uh, it, it definitely happens. And, um, and I think, again, it's based on that type of expectation that a lot of people have. Um, and th those expectations come from a lot of different places. What's interesting, and the reason why I'm intentional about saying that is because um, I myself have, uh, the, who I've gotten that, that um, comment from varies. So I've gotten that comment from a bunch of different people, white, black, uh, you know, Hispanic, Filipino, a uh, bunch of different people. And, uh, and I think too, you know, it, is, it, is it like a black person saying you sound white or a Hispanic person saying you sound white or a white person saying you sound white that carries some sort of like weight to it? I don't know. Um, and then the other piece of it too is like, um, again, we're all human for me. I've, I, you know, when I talk to somebody on the phone, I automatically have an image of them in my head, you know, and, uh, you know, if, if I feel, you know, if I picture this somebody to be white, black, or Hispanic or whatever, uh, it might pop up in my head. Um, and, and then I'll meet them in person and I will be, I will be surprised, you know, I'll be like, whoa, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I wouldn't have imagined. I guess what I would change is like how I express that, um, how I express that surprise. I guess I wouldn't tell the person. I wouldn't say, oh, I didn't expect you to be this way or sound this way. Um, but that in itself, like not saying it um, and me thinking it is something else, you know, me thinking it is is kind of related to what I was saying before about practicing being mindful and being open. Next up, Namaka Uno shares a story of her first visit to Africa in a rural village in Zambia. Even with the best intentions, mistakes are common. But with an open mind, we can learn and adapt and become more culturally attuned. Namako is a former staff member at Burning Man Project and assisted in the production of Culturally Attuned. Before moving to Oakland, California, I spent seven months living and learning in a rural village in Zambia. And originally I had gone to Zambia to visit my sister and her partner who were working in the Peace Corps. Um, and I went there originally for two weeks and ended up staying for seven months. The village had no electricity, no running water, no paved roads. And it was my first time traveling outside of the US or Europe. When I arrived, I was able to uh, be held in that environment and really get to know people right away. Um, the first night I arrived in the village after a long, a long bus ride and a long bike ride, I was immediately welcomed in and invited to a neighbor's home for dinner. And the village is really spread out. And so we ended up biking over there and I was able to experience the, the lush terrain, um, which was very surprising to me. And I could see the, the groves of trees and the fertile ground and birds singing in the trees and cicadas. And this was all um, very unexpected because I had arrived with a 
conditioned kind of homogeneous view of what quote unquote Africa should look like. And so arriving at my neighbor's home for dinner, um, I, I saw the woman of the house and um, I'll call her Bamayo. And so after we greeted each other initially, um, it was time to eat and I was invited into, into the home and I rinsed my hands in a bucket of water and um, slipped off my shoes. I at least knew to do that um, growing up in a, in a house that did not wear shoes inside. So I took off my shoes and ducked under and went inside um, and it was really dark inside and it was kind of cold and it felt small. And me being someone who's 5'10", I felt like I was taking up a lot of space. Um, and so I made myself small, crouched down and, and sat on the floor to try and make some more room for other people. And then Bamayo came up to me um, and she like handed me this wood carved stool, like gesturing for me to sit on it. And I, I didn't want to take it. You know, I wanted to convey that I didn't need to be treated um, with any, any special manner that I was like, okay to sit on the floor. But I, I saw that she, she got a little bit more, um, demanding in, in me taking the stool and her voice raised. Um, and I picked up on that. And so I was, I took the stool and I sat kind of elevated above everyone else, um, for the remainder of our, our meal. Um, and as, as the guest, I was the, the one who was invited to eat first, right? And so I picked up the serving dish and it was filled with this mushroom-like stew. I wasn't sure what it was, um, but I brought it really close to my face and I just inhaled deeply um, and made this like, mmm, sound, um, really trying to convey my enthusiasm um, and my gratitude. But when I, when I did that, I felt the energy shift in the room. Um, everyone went kind of quiet and I opened my eyes and looked around at everyone and I could see that my hosts um, were kind of moving away from me. Their mouths were shut tight. Their, their eyes were a little bit more hard, hardened. Um, and so my stomach turned um, and clenched and I, I felt that I had offended them, right? Which is the last thing that I, I wanted to do. Um, but I had clearly offended them and I wasn't sure why. And so I, all these thoughts were going through my head. Like, was it the, was it the sound I made? Did it, was that inappropriate? Um, did I touch the communal bowl and was this an issue of germs? Like, was I smelling it and suggesting it might be bad? Like, I just, I wasn't sure. Um, and so I tried to kind of make amends by taking a big, like heaping spoonful of this stew um, to show, show my gratitude. And in doing so, I, I accidentally served myself about half of the, the bowl of stew, which was meant to be dinner for, for five people. Um, and I hadn't realized that until I looked at my sister and she gave me like a knowing look, like a little eyebrow raise in terms of like, what are you doing? Uh, why are you taking so much? And so I picked up on that and went to put some of it back, um, which also was an awkward thing to do. And so I, I just kind of sat there awkwardly, not knowing how to move, how to be in that space. Um, and to break the silence, I asked my sister to translate for me. Um, and I inquired about what kind of stew it was. Um, there was smells that I didn't recognize, shapes I didn't recognize inside of the stew. And my sister told me that it was meat stew. 
And so my neighbors, my new neighbors had killed um, one of their chickens um, in order to honor my arrival in, in the village. And as she told me this, I took it in, I nodded my head slowly um, and my thoughts and my stomach started to churn because I was vegetarian. I had been vegetarian for five years um, and so really sat there with this dilemma of do I eat the stew and try to um, be a good guest? Do I honor my own personal ethics um, and my bodily health and kind of stuck in that in-between position? Um, so I ended up eating around the meat and then giving the meat to um to my sister's partner who then explained to our, our hosts like what vegetarianism was and really tried to contextualize some of my behavior. One of the important lessons of intercultural engagement is that there is no magic formula that always tells us what the right thing is or what not to do. Here's how Namako reflects on that first dinner in Zambia. After the meal, you know, we left and I was just, um, I was left with this kind of sinking feeling like I hadn't shown up like I wanted to, right? Like I, I felt like a very stereotypical American tourist and what I wanted to feel like was a relatable local. And yet the reality is that I was not a local. I was someone with immense class privilege who had flown from New York to Zambia and my mere presence um, in that place really connoted economic mobility, right? This sense of choice, deciding to be there, choosing to be there, choosing to leave. And I was an outsider. And this also made me really uncomfortable because even though I'm biracial, um, I have white passing privilege. And I also grew up in a middle-class um, community with a white racial lens. And my comfortability was often centered growing up. And so I defaulted to wanting to skip the, um, the, the feelings of discomfort that come with being new at something. And I didn't want to take the time to really acknowledge the dimensions of difference and build trust and be seen and be witnessed in my vulnerability um, and really attune myself to social cues. I just wanted to like cut to the chase and like uh, be, be a local. And I was so concerned with, with belonging and not being other, the other, quote unquote, that I wasn't really able to take that first step of being a gracious guest and doing the labor of deep listening, which I feel like is essential um, when you're in a new place, in a new community and in a new context, right? That, that practice of deep listening. Cultural competence is, at its most effective, a process of self-discovery. It requires us to remain flexible and move beyond fixed agendas and schedules. Building trust and creating relationships are key to working within different cultures. Tabitha Thompson reminds us that cultural sensitivity is being aware of our impact as outsiders and ensuring that locals drive the priorities. Yes, you may have a project that you need to get done, um, or, you know, uh, indicators of success that you have for your organization, but you're not actually the one that's living in the environment and affected by, you know, the conflict or um, the emergency or the crisis that, that is going on. Um, and when you, your project is done um, or your work is done, you're not the one that remains. Um, and so for, for me, you know, as an outsider, um, 
again, approaching the, the work with, with humility, but also making sure that you understand why people are motivated to do the work that they're doing in these different communities and what makes them tick um, and moving, you know, beyond the transactional um, uh, relationship um, and, and um, you know, project space is so important because they're the ones that are going to drive the work during the project and after you're gone. And, and if your idea of success is to make real change or, you know, have a real impact, um, the only way that you're actually going to be able to do that is if someone feels comfortable and trusts you and, and feels like you have their best interest at heart and you have their community's best interest at heart, even if it means, you know, maybe needing to slow down uh, or, or take a pause in, in the project to really understand what is going on. Whether you're passing through as a visitor or unpacking your bags for longer, we hope you'll take time to step back and observe all the new and wonderful delights of another culture. Soak in and enjoy all the new experiences. Building new friendships and growing relationships is one of the most meaningful and enjoyable aspects of exploring. Ask questions, listen, and connect with others. Enjoy discovering your similarities and differences. If you are a person with perceived inherent power, privilege, or resources, it is important to remember to spend extra time listening and learning. If you're working on a collaborative project in a community other than your own, try to resist the temptation to be the one with the answers. Small things go a long way to becoming a respectful visitor, colleague, or neighbor in a community that you're engaging with. Most of all, remember that while the work is serious, life is a journey of learning. Humor is an asset, and when complemented with humility, we can take ourselves lightly enough to keep moving forward with joy. This is the work we chose, and we know that we will likely continue to both stumble and grow. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We are grateful to all the guests across all the episodes who shared their stories and insights, as well as all those who worked behind the scenes to bring this podcast to life. In fact, they strived from the beginning to create the kind of a learning experience they wish they had years ago before they got on the first plane ride to an unfamiliar place, full of excitement and adventure, yet naive to the important matters of engaging effectively in other cultures. But in our increasingly diverse and connected communities and world, one doesn't need to hop on a plane to engage with others meaningfully and respectfully. For many, we may just need to walk down our own street. Culturally Attuned was produced by me, Dominic Kearley, at the United States Institute of Peace, in collaboration with Christopher Breedlove and Kim Cook at Birdie Man Project. Thank you for listening and for joining us on this journey to become more culturally attuned. Mm-hmm.